there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. I've received a couple of questions and I would like to take some time to answer them and to talk about working. One of the questions was, why work? Now, we've received this question in a number of different forms, but for some reason, I felt like it fit with another question that I received that I'd also like to answer. And that really was a request for some discussion about Vipassana and how it might fit in with these work principles, with the ideas of the fourth way. Why work, as you think about it, breaks down to why make effort? Really, what is the work? The work is the effort. What is it the effort to do? It's the effort to go against the natural flow of life. It's the effort to get out of the stream of the natural flow of life and to go a direction of our own choosing, almost of our own choosing. In a sense, it's of our own choosing because it's not something that we've created. We haven't created a way to go. What we've done is we have recognized that there is the possibility of another way and we choose between those two. And hopefully we make an informed decision, a decision based on some kind of information that we have, some kind of real information that we've been able to gather, that we've been able to verify. That kind of a choice is a good choice. If you can make that kind of a choice, and not everyone can, then great. If you can't, then this work isn't for you. What work isn't for you? This effort of getting out of the flow, the direction that life takes animals. We are animals. You're living in an animal body. Basically, we are animals to life. Life wishes to take us the way it takes all animals. It has its purpose for all animals, and it has its laws for all animals. But there is the possibility of us developing beyond the animal and getting out from under the laws that govern the animal and develop something higher. That choice is something that we make. And for that choice, we then become willing to make effort. In other words, to go against the natural flow of the river of life, as it were. So, of course, it depends on your aim and your belief system. We'll assume that if you're here, if you're listening to this, then your aim is to develop. Your aim is to realize the possibility other than the natural flow of animal life. Some people like to call this spiritual development. That's okay with me. I don't really care what you call it. Some people prefer to call it psychological development because they have a kink in them somewhere about the word spiritual. They had some experience when they were children or somewhere along the line with some religion or some preacher or some Bible thumper or somebody. And they eschew the word religion or spiritual or anything at all that has anything to do with a God or somebody who could tell you what to do or punish you or burn you in hell or reward you or whatever. 
And people have all, or, or sin, people have all kinds of, these are hot spots for people. So some people like to call it psychological development. I really don't care. Some people prefer to call it inner development. Not having those kinks means that I can call it anything I want. I can call it spiritual development. I can call it following Jesus. I can call it following Buddha. I can call it, I can call it anything I want. Because I understand that it has nothing to do with any of that. That all of that is constructed by the false personality. All of those different systems are constructed by the false personality. It's like light. The sun shines, and you look at it and you say, it's sunshine, it's light. We'll call it white light. But it hits, something can refract that light, and it splits into the colors of the rainbow. Is it not white light anymore? No, it's still white light, but now it is. Now we are shown this fan shape of different frequencies that are contained in that. Religions, systems, are like those different colored lights that come from the one light. Now, of course, the problem with religions and systems is that people get attached to them. And when they get attached to them, they say, this is the only way. This is the right light. This is the only way to get to the white light, is by following this ray, this colored ray. And for you, that may be the only way. And if it is, then you should follow it. But for someone else, this other ray may be the only ray that they can follow. It may be the thing that they are most inclined to do. Fine, then follow that. I don't care how you get there, just get there. Get to a higher place. That's the object of all of this. That's the object of all these things. Now, unfortunately, the object is lost in the system. People get so identified and so attached to the system, they forget all about the object of the system. And they begin to live their lives around defending the system. And so you build little huts or little castles or little steepled churches and you say, this represents our system. This is the right system. This is the good system. This is the only system. And all other systems are bad and wrong. Okay, fine, then do that. But I don't have a house here. You know, it's like the people who went to Jerusalem and, and they, were, they wanted to visit the Holy Land and they, they heard about this holy man and, and so they wanted to go and visit him and, and they went and they found this little shack that he lived in and, and there was nothing there. There was no furniture, nothing. And, and, and they said, uh, well, why do you live here? How come you don't have any furniture? And he, blah. he said, well, where is your furniture? He said, you don't have any furniture either. Where's all your furniture? Well, they said, well, we're just visiting here. We came from America and all our furniture is at home in our house. We have a big house and a lot of furniture. And he said, well, I'm just visiting here and all my furniture is in my home. And they said, well, where's that? And he said, well, it's not here. <laughs> and that's the whole point. It's like, look, if this is what you're here for, then you're, you're here for the, what life wants you to be here for, the animal purpose. You know, eat, drink, be merry, breed, make money, do all of those things. Fine, then do that and have a great time doing that. If, on the other hand, you have got a glimpse of something else, something beyond this, a different direction, then you need to follow that. How do you follow that? I don't know how you follow that. That's up to you. So essentially what I'm saying is work can be either, you know, this whole thing of, of living life is either a mechanical thing that we just naturally do because this is what life leads us to do. Or it becomes this conscious thing where we, we remember this flash that we got that there was a possibility of something different. And we remember the sense that we got. 
and we remember what it touched deep, deep, deep inside of us. And we barely remember it, but we do remember it. And we desire it. Work calls that magnetic center. We desire it. Something in us starts to collect stories and ideas and people and things that remind us of it. It starts to gather like a snowball rolling down a hill. Slowly, of course. And it picks up a lot of crud and crap along the way. It's not just pure, wonderful snow all the time. You know, There's other things in the snow that it picks up, some rocks and twigs and things like that. So it's not as we would like to have it be, perfect, because we'd like to have everything perfect, pure and perfect, but it just isn't that way for us. So mechanical or conscious? If it's mechanical, we're going to live life, then there's no need to work because it will happen through evolution. You'll just evolve or through osmosis. What is osmosis? Well, what is osmosis? Do you know what osmosis is? Nobody knows what osmosis is. Something just goes into another thing. Yeah, that's right. Something just osmoses into another thing. It just is kind of, uh, yes, it's, it's kind of absorbed. Yeah, it's kind of absorbed. Like in our society, we have absorbed movies. We have absorbed music. You know, everywhere you go, you go and, you know, there's music playing in stores and music playing in malls and music here and music there. And we don't really listen to it anymore. But have you ever gotten a tune in your head that you couldn't get out? And that's not conscious. That's mechanical. That's osmosis. You just kind of absorb it. You just evolve along with it. So if that's what you're doing, then fine, then do that. Just don't do anything. Just have a good time. But the work says that in internal development is only possible consciously. There is no way to mechanically develop along this different line apart from life. There is no way to mechanically do it. There is no way to do it mechanically. You must be conscious in order to do this. You must have some degree of consciousness. You must be able to generate some amount of consciousness awareness, awakeness. And the work says that the way we start to do that, because we don't have much to start with, is we have to start with a little spark and a little tinder and some fluff, something that will easily catch fire. Because we can't start a big log on fire with a match. We have to start with something smaller and then build it. So what we do is we give things, we give ideas our attention. And we find that giving our attention is very difficult, that we're not very good at that because we have been raised in life and the mechanical flow of life doesn't need our attention. You don't need any attention to go with life, or very little. And you certainly don't need to sustain it. But to go in the opposite direction, you do need to sustain it. You do need to develop it. But conscious work isn't really enough. It's got to be properly employed. In other words, it's not enough to make effort. I remember one time when I lived in Florida, I just got to Florida. I moved to Florida from New Jersey. And in Tampa Bay, you could drive, you could drive a, you'd go and park, and, but everything in Florida was sand. And uh, I remember I had a 59 Ford and I got it stuck in the sand. And I got into the car and I tried to rock it out. You know, like you would if you were in snow, because I was from New Jersey. If you were in snow, you'd try and rock it out. You'd put, you know, but there were all these different things you did, all these different ways that you had tricks to get out of snow if you were in snow or ice or whatever. But and I tried all that stuff, and none of that stuff worked. And so somebody came along and they said, "Let some air out of your back tires." 
and I was at this point ready to try anything. <laughs> so, uh, because it was dark by then. I mean, I'd been I'd been stuck there for hours trying to get out, and I wasn't getting out. It was just getting deeper. And he said, "Let some air out of your tires." So I let some air out of the back tires, and drove out. Just just drove out. And I was like, "Oh!" <laughs> I was so excited. I was so excited because it was right effort. All the effort that I'd made right up until that time was pointless. It was meaningless. It meant nothing other than I learned that that's not how you get out of sand. But when I let some of the air out of the tires, then the tires got a wider base, flattened out some, and I just drove right out. I mean, it was amazing. I just barely touched the gas and it's just the car just eased right out. I thought, oh, this is too much. <laughs> and the guy said, well, see? My point is that, that right effort got me right out of the sand. But all the wrong effort, I was expending a lot of energy and a lot of fretting and a lot of gas. Good intentions are not enough. I wanted to get out of the sand. I had every intention of getting out of the sand. Everything I did was to get out of the sand, but I just got deeper into the sand. I didn't get out of the sand, so my good intentions were not enough. I needed right effort, which was dependent upon right knowledge. I couldn't make the right effort unless I had the right knowledge. Someone came along from outside of me and gave me the right knowledge. Why? Well, because I was raised in New Jersey. We didn't get stuck in sand. We got stuck in snow and ice. So I didn't know what to do in Florida in sand. But this guy obviously did know. And so he gave me the answer. So he became my guru, as it were. He was the guy who brought the light to me. That's what a guru is, is a bringer of light, someone who brings light. Well, what did I do with the light? Get out of here. You're an idiot. I'm not letting the air out of my tires. No, I listened to him. Why? Because I was desperate at that point. Had he come earlier, I might not have listened to him. Well, I got a couple other things I'm going to try first. But because I was desperate and I tried everything, I was willing to listen to him. This really, this whole thing is really a spiritual story. Oh, he said that spiritual word again. Yes, I did. But I don't have a problem with that. And if you do, well, then you should probably be listening to somebody else who doesn't talk that way. This work is not intellectual entertainment. What is intellectual entertainment? I'm an entertaining guy. I tell great stories. I can be funny. I have wonderful gesticulations. I mean, let's face it. You know, you listen to me and you think, geez, he's right on. That's exactly what I, that's just, yeah, the, I, I've thought that, but I never said it. And, and I like the way he says that. That really rings true with me. Now, of course, there are some people who their intellectual entertainment is to sit there and disagree with everything I say. Well, what's he know? Blah, 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 blah. He's an idiot. And if I were like him, what a boob. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, so, so there are people who like that. That's their intellectual entertainment. It doesn't matter what, whether it's positive or negative, whether you're getting agreement or you're not agreeing. The fact is, is that you intellectually are stimulated and entertained, and then you get the idea, yeah, let some t air out of your tires, and then just drive out of the sand. And then you sit there and go, wow, that's really great, man. Did you hear this? And you go around and you tell everybody on the beach, listen, all you got to do if you want to get out of sand is let some air out of your tires. And you drive right out. It's really cool. I'm never, in fact, come on, let's go get your car stuck so I can show you. You know, so it's like, and of course, Whole religions grow up around that. Let's go get your car stuck so I can show you how to get out of it. Whole systems grow up around that. You know, there are guys who do seminars who travel the whole country doing seminars. You know, 500 bucks a pop. You come, they'll get you stuck, and then they'll get you unstuck. Well, what's the purpose of that? Well, so anytime you ever get stuck, you can get yourself unstuck because now you know how to do it. It's like, okay, great, whatever. 
So it's not intellectual entertainment. That's not work. Fixing yourself isn't this work. This isn't about fixing yourself. This isn't about, oh, my car is stuck in the sand and I can't get it out. Well, give it a tune-up. You know, that's the problem. You just need a tune-up. An oil change. Change the oil. Then you'll get out. No, it's not like that. You can't fix you. This is a huge, huge difference between this work and everything else that I know about. Almost everything, people are giving you the tools to fix yourself. Now, if you've been around as long as I've been around in this self-help industry, and that's what it is. Well, I don't care what people really call it. What it is is a self-help industry. It's an industry where people make money trying to teach other people how to help themselves. And it's all bogus because you can't help yourself. There is no way for you to fix yourself. But you have to understand this. And this is where 12-step programs hint at this. You're powerless. You are powerless over this, whatever this, your addiction is. You're powerless over that. And until people come to that realization, they're not, they're not going anywhere. They have to get help from a higher power. Now, there are a lot of people who are wanked out with this whole spiritual idea, you know, so they just call it a higher power. It's a higher, oh, my higher power. You know, it's not God, it's a higher power. And they're just stuck with that because they have so many things they can't deal with. And that's great. Don't deal with everything all at once. Deal with what you can deal with. You know, let the air out of one tire at a time. Don't go and stick a knife in the side of the tire. Just take the little valve stem cap off, poke your finger in there, poke something in there, let some air out of the tire. Then go do that on the other side. Then try and drive out. And it's like that. It's like you just make with right knowledge. Somebody comes along and tells you what to do. Then you make the right effort. You do that. And then you try it. And you either get out or you don't get out. You either make progress or you don't make progress. You make a little bit of progress. You go, oh, okay, well, this seems this is working better than anything else. I think I'll try that some more. So you try that some more. And you make a little more progress. And you inch your way out. Did you fix yourself? No. But you got yourself into a different position, a better position. And a better position for a car is on pavement rather than in sand. That's a better position for a car. A better position for one of us is at a higher level of consciousness where we are not controlled by the flow of life. We're not reacting to every single thing that happens in life. Stock market went up. Oh, I'm rich. Stock market went down. Oh, I'm jumping out a window. That's controlled by life. Totally reactive. That's not what this is about. This is about getting beyond that, getting above that, getting out of that. With all this effort involved, I've got a couple other things too. Imagination isn't work. People imagine they work all the time. They read a book and they think because they read the book, they've worked. Well, yeah, I, I understand all that. What they mean is intellectually they can grasp these are good ideas. And they think that means that they now can do that. <laughs> the truth is, is that's not the truth. But because it's not the truth and because we don't like the truth, we then imagine that we are doing it in the same way that people imagine that there's something that they're not. All you have to do is, what's that, what's that singing show they have on television? American Idol. And I guess they've got every kind of idol there is now. Spanish Idol, Russian Idol, Japanese <laughs> Idol. You know, it's like they got them all over, you know, because, because, because people, oh, this is how you make money. This is the way. This is what people want now. So everybody makes that program. It's why television is all the same. It's why movies are all the same. It's why people create nothing. They imitate. Why do they imitate? 
Well, because imitation is the highest form of praise? No, because that worked and we want to make money too. And what do you think that is? Do you think that's the work or do you think that's life? That's life. It isn't imagination. It isn't parroting. If you think because you can say these ideas, you can talk to these ideas about other people, you can explain them to other people, that doesn't mean you can do it either. All that means is you, you're a good parrot. You're a good mimic. You can mimic things well. Well, congratulations. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. But in this work, it's not going to get you anywhere. Not in and of itself. So with all the effort involved, why work? What valuation will carry us through all this effort? Only you can answer that for you. I can answer it for me. What it boils down to is this. After 40 years of this, what I can tell you absolutely for sure is that I wish to no longer harm other beings. That's it. There's nothing else I want. Well, what about being healthy? I'm healthy enough. What about being rich? I'm rich enough. What about being attractive and, and loved? I'm loved enough. What I want is to not harm other people. I don't want to be the cause of any more suffering and pain in this experience on this planet. I don't want to be a part of other people hurting. I want to be a part of healing. I want to be a part of light. I want to be a part of love. I want to be a part of compassion. I don't want to hurt anyone anymore. Well, then just don't. And that shows the difference between your level of understanding and my level of understanding. Because at your level of understanding, you may very easily think, well, I don't hurt anybody. And what I have to say is, you simply do not understand. You do not understand the nature of life, the nature of being, and the nature of living under 48 orders of laws. You don't understand it, if you can say that. Because if you're here, it's like the Jains in India. They wear masks over their face. They go before them, they, they have a, they'll, they'll have a, a broom. And they go, when they walk, they sweep before them so they don't step on bugs. They wear the mask over their face so they don't inhale any insects or animals and kill them inadvertently. They don't want to do any harm. The Hindus have a word for that, ahimsa. It's in, I guess maybe it's a Sanskrit word, ahimsa. Do no harm. I, I don't want to hurt anybody anymore. I look at my life, I look at the wake of my life, and I see in the wake of my life people who have been hurt, things that have been hurt. Why? Because I meant to hurt them? No. But, but like the Jains who walk along sweeping the path in front of them, well, I, I tried to do that too, but I guess I missed some. Or before I even realized that, 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 that there, were any, there was anything there. I went along stepping on them and inhaling them and whatever. Now, of course, I'm not talking about microscope, microscopic creatures and insects. I'm talking about people in life. Well, people are responsible for their own pain and suffering. Yes, that's true. Absolutely right. And I don't want any part in it. Let them find someone else to be offended with. So that's my answer. Ignorance isn't the same as not doing it. So if you don't hurt people, ignorance is not the same as not hurting people. Just because you don't know you do something doesn't mean it's the same as not doing it. Try practicing a little bit of proper self-observation. Then, tell me what you think. We can't wish to work unless we have some awareness of our condition. If you can see that you are part of the pollution on this planet, then you will want to be part of the solution. If you can really see that you are part of the pollution and what the pollution does, and I'm not talking about the air, I'm talking about the collective consciousness of our planet, that we are adding to it, that our violence and our negativity adds to it and supports war, bloodshed, trading, 
young men's blood for oil in foreign lands. All of that is supported by our enjoyment and use of negative emotions. When you see that, you'll value change. You'll want to make effort. When you really see that about yourself. Vipassana in the work. You remember the guy on the East Coast who listens to the podcast, Matt, and he went and he tried the 10-day course and he, and he left on day seven. He couldn't handle it. He went back. Yep, he went back and he finished. And so I got an email from him last Monday because that was his first day in, back in the world. So he sent me an email telling me that he'd finished. And he said, how my experience fits into the fourth way framework, I'm not sure. There are certainly many parallels, but I'm hesitant to try to incorporate anything. Okay, I understand. You come out of a 10-day and you're rigid. You've been poured into a mold and it's fixed in some way. So you're somewhat rigid. You're not very flexible yet because you haven't practiced for a couple of years. But after you do the practice for a couple of years and you get established in it, you're not so rigid. You're more flexible. You're not afraid you're going to slip over this side or fall out that side or go to sleep or, or not do this or not do that. You start to get a little more flexible about it. You start to get a little more alive about it. See, rigid isn't necessary. We don't think of rigor mortis as alive. Rigor mortis is when people die and they've been dead for a while. Rigor mortis sets in, which means, what does it, mortis obviously has something to, de to do with death, and rigor has something to do with moving. So they're not moving because they're dead. Well, that's what happens with people who get in early stages of anything. They get inflexible because they're learning. When you're, when you're learning how to write, they, they give you these big pencils. <laughs> they used to give you these big pencils with yellow paper with big lines, huge lines, because you're a little kid and you, you know, a pencil's hard to handle. You know, you don't have the manual dexterity. And so you're writing all these A's and all these B's and the little A's have to go in this line and the big A has to go in this, between these lines. And you had to stay between the lines, and it was very important, and they'd mark you on whether or not you stayed between the lines. And you trained yourself rigidly to stay between the lines. Now do you stay between the lines? No. No. You just dash it off. You dash off a note if, for people who still write. There are people who still write, you know, who, who are not addicted to a keyboard. They can still pick up a pen or a pencil and, and write on a piece of paper and, and communicate to another human being. It's possible. It happens. It doesn't happen very often, but, it's, but it does happen. My point is, in the beginning when we're learning, we're inflexible because we're, we're training. We're supposed to be inflexible. We're supposed to be training ourselves. But after a while and you've trained yourself, then you can be a little more flexible. You can be a little more alive with it. The rigor mortis goes away and uh, active lifus comes in, you know, where you can actually move in life and be a, a, a human being. You can be somewhat natural with it. I live a relatively natural life. For me. Now, for some people, they go, you live like a monk. Well, <laughs> you know, you, you obviously don't know how a monk lives then. In the beginning, our inflexibility is understandable, and it's the way it is. You just accept it as the way it is. Later, you get more flexible, and you get a little paranoid about it. Oh, I'm, I'm getting a little flexible. Oh, I'm, I'm outside the lines. Oh, it's okay. Your heart matters more now. So how Vipassana works with the fourth way is very nicely and very easily, from my experience. Vipassana is known as insight meditation. And Vipassana literally means to see things as they really are. Insight meditation. Now tell me, what could this possibly have to do with the work? Well, 
If you know anything about the work, if you've listened to two podcasts, you've surely heard me say something about self-observation. And insight is sight in, sight turned inward. So self-observation is insight. So insight meditation and self-observation are the same thing for all intents and purposes. There is no difference. It's training in that. Vipassana meditation, according to S. N. Goenka, was rediscovered and taught by Gotama Buddha 2,500 years ago. Rediscovered. I find this very interesting. In other words, it was a tradition that mankind knew about and had practiced for thousands of years, but it was lost. How could it get lost? Just the same way everything else gets lost. There will come a time when people who can write with a pen or a pencil on paper will be rare. They'll be antiques. They'll be rare. They'll be specialists. That's how it works. History has proved that again and again. It's also not Buddhist. A lot of people call it Buddhist. The Pashan is Buddhist meditation. It's not Buddhist meditation. Buddha, for example, never used the word Buddhist. Never, ever, ever used the word Buddhist. There was no such word. That came later and was vent invented by his followers who found some colored ray of light and said, this is the way, everybody has to do this. But Buddha himself, he discovered the source of the different rays of light and he pointed people in that direction. Jesus Christ discovered the source of the different rays of light and he pointed people in that direction. All the great teachers, all the great figures in history discovered the source of the white, pure white light, the source, the cause, and they pointed people in that direction. Later, people came along and made stuff up about it and built things around it and colored it. Vipassana is self-transformation through self-observation based on disciplined attention to physical sensations. This is an exact quote from the Vipassana website, Goenka's Vipassana website. So he says, Vipassana is self-transformation. Now, have you ever heard of the word transformation in any of my talks? Okay. Through self-observation. Have you ever heard self-observation in any of my talks? Self-transformation, self-change through self-observation. Based on disciplined attention to physical sensations. Disciplined attention to physical sensations. In case you haven't been around here long, you haven't been listening long, if this is your first podcast, there's discipline involved. Run away like your hair is on fire. <laughs> and the Americans are already doing that. Ah, discipline, no, not that, anything but that. We're free, we're independent, we're Americans. Yeah, no more American bashing. Sensations form the life of the body and interconnect and condition life, the life of the mind. This is also what Goenka had to say. He says, Vipassana is self-transformation through self-observation based on disciplined attention to physical sensations. Sensations form the life of the body. <laughs> Let's face it, people. The life of your body is determined by sensations. That's what it's determined by. You're hungry. You need to go to the bathroom. You need to shift. You need to sit down. You need to stand up. You need to work. You need to sleep. All of that stuff, shift. <laughs> <laughs> You never know what people are going to hear. <laughs> you never know. What? They stoned me because I said the wrong, because they heard the wrong word. That's life. That's the way it is. You just kind of roll with the stones. Oh, rolling stones. <laughs>
Discovering the common root of mind and body dissolves mental impurity, resulting in a balanced mind full of love and compassion. This is also from Goenka. So essentially what he's saying is, the Vipassana is self-transformation through self-observation based on disciplined attention to physical sensations. Sensations form the life of the body and interconnect and condition the life of the mind. So sensations actually condition the life of the mind. Well, what do you mean? What I mean is when you're a little kid and you stick your hand on a hot stove and it burns your hot your hand, your mind is conditioned by that to pull away from hot stoves, to eschew hot stoves, to never go, no, you'll hear the little kid, no, hot, hot, oh, no, mommy, hot. You'll hear the little kid say things like that. After, you know, something, ah, no, bad, they get away from it. They don't want anything to do with it. Their minds have been conditioned by the sensations in the body. You get it? That's what he's saying. Now, of course, he's not saying it like a buffoon, like I say it, because he's a dignified teacher of millions of people, but I'm just some guy who's trying to get across to some other guys something that he's discovered about life and about himself that makes it fuller and richer and helps us to move in a different direction. That's all I want to do. I don't really want to be some dignified teacher of millions of people. I just want to get out of here. I just want to get out from under 48 orders of laws. I just want to stop hurting other beings on this planet. And if I have to get under fewer laws in order to do that, then that's what I want to do. And if I have to raise my level of being, my consciousness, in order to do that, then that's what I want to do. And if I have to make some changes inside of myself in order to do that, then that's what I want to do. So all of my wants are all predicated upon that one thing, to get to a place where I no longer have to hurt other beings, cause harm. To do that, if I have to make changes in me, then I have to make changes in me. Then I'll do that. That's what this work is about for me. What it's about for you is what it's about for you. I'm not here to tell you what it should be about for you. You select whatever it is for you. Some people, some people go, they turn to religion or they turn to whatever they turn to for different reasons. Some people need healing. Their physical body is in, in, in need of healing, so they turn to God for healing. Some people need to be freed from an addiction, so they turn to this or that, to some higher power to be freed from that addiction. Some people need, they're lonely and they're desperate and they just want to connect with another human being. They want a relationship where they can give and receive love. And so that becomes there. Some people are poor and they don't have enough money to buy food and to have shelter for their children and they want some money and they turn to religion or to some system for prosperity. All of those things are valid things, but those are not the things that got me into this. If those are the things, if one of, the, one of those things is what got you into this, okay, that's okay with me. But... That's not why you need to stay in it. Because after you get healed, after you get money, after you get love, after you get whatever it is, then what do you do? Well, you quit because you got what you want. That's not going to get you liberation. And so for me, all those things need to lead to the one thing, the white light, the pure light. So discovering the common root of the mind and the body dissolves mental impurity, resulting in balanced mind full of love and compassion. What is mental impurity? Mental impurity is when you see this dog, you panic, you freeze, you have palpitations, your, your spit dries up, and you can't move. All you can do is go, oh, I'm going to be bitten. Because I, I was bitten by a dog when I was two years old, and I can't forget that. And now every time I see that dog, that's what happens. That is a mental impurity brought about through physical sensations that conditioned the mind.
the physical sensations of the body that conditioned the mind, and now that mind is now running wild, conditioning the body, giving it those sensations, making those sensations happen in the body, and freezing the body up so that you're no longer free, so that you, you need to be liberated from that. You need that mental impurity wiped out of your mind. The Pashina meditation, this work, is a way to do that, to remove the impurities and replace the impurities with that, with what? A balanced mind. An unbalanced mind goes crazy when certain things happen. A balanced mind doesn't. You know, there'll be other people standing around with a balanced mind when it comes to dogs. And they go, dude, you're kind of overreacting. No, I'm not! Because he's unbalanced. But a person with a balanced mind would go, dude, trust me, you're overreacting. You need help. Go see this, go see this doctor. Go see this person. And if the person gets tired enough of reacting to the neighbor's dog like that, they will go see somebody and purify their mind. The work calls it proper self-observation, separated, not identified with what is being observed. Vipassana calls it remaining equanimous, seeing it, observing it equanimously, like you were looking at an interesting stranger, like you were watching a movie. There's nothing to do with me. I am over here. It's over there. I am observing it. I am not it. That is what the work talks about, and that is what Vipassana talks about and teaches you to do. So. For me, the two go hand in glove, separated, not identified with what's being observed. Neither belong to either tradition. The fourth way incorporates the first, second, and third ways. says that very clearly. What's the first way? The way of the fakir. What's that? Well, that's the guy who gets control over his physical body by standing in one position, or doing one thing, whatever. And that's it. That's all he does. He develops will by gaining control over his physical body. What's the second way? The way of the monk. The second way, the way of the monk, is a guy who gets control over his will, who gains will, one will, by devotion to another. He's always doing what somebody else told him to do. Well, if you've ever tried that, you're going to get a lot of will, because they're going to, sooner or later, they're going to tell you something you don't want to do. And then your will has to be solidified and formed and forged in doing that, in that devotion. And it's the devotion that carries you through it. And then there's the way of the yogi, the third way the way of the intellect. So you have the way of the body, the way of the heart, the way of the intellect. The fourth way employs all ways. Why? Because we're in a hurry here. <laughs> we want to stop we want to stop this mad rush toward death that life has. All of life is flowing toward death. The river ends going over the falls. That's where it goes. And then what happens? Well then it it goes back up in the air, and then it rains, and then it starts again, and it's a big cycle. Well, that's fine, but I'm tired of the cycle. I like to cycle out of here. I like to cycle into something else. I like to turn this cycle, this circle, into a spiral that leads up and out. Why? Is life so bad? No, life's great. But life is great because of this spiral. Life is great because of my ability to not identify with the madness involved in it. So yeah, life is great for me, but it's not great for everybody. In fact, it's not great for very many people. The very few people who can genuinely, really, honestly say, sincerely, life is great. Truth doesn't belong to any way, doesn't belong to any religion, doesn't belong to any organization, person, or group. Truth is not something that can be owned or possessed or patented or cloistered away by any group, church, organization, person. Nothing can do that. Truth is beyond all of that. So to say that Vipassana is Buddhist, or to say the fourth way is the way. That's ridiculous. The truth is the truth. And if it manifests in this way, then it manifests in this way now. And if it manifests in this way, then it manifests in this way. So for me, Christians, Jains, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, whatever, 
It doesn't matter to me. I don't care what you are. I don't care what particular avenue of expression you've chosen or has chosen you or you were born into. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is, can we work together to get ourselves spiraling and under higher influences, spiraling upward under better influences, fewer laws? Can we do that? If you can do that, I'm committed to doing that. If you can't do that, go back to the drawing board until you can. You know where to find me. The aim of Vipassana is liberation. The aim of the work is liberation. Vipassana practice is to learn to maintain the state of awareness and equanimity at all times. It's not just for an hour here or an hour there, two hours a day that you practice. The purpose of practicing two hours a day, an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, 10 minutes before you, before you get out of bed, after you wake up, and 10 minutes before you go to sleep, after you get in bed. The purpose is not so that you can just do that practice. The purpose is so that when you get up, you take it with you throughout your day. You maintain that state of separation, of not being identified, of being able to go with the flow. This is life as it is. It's not some other way. I accept it as it is. The purpose of the work is the exact same thing. The fourth way practice is to raise one's level of being and maintain that level of being, that detached, separated level of being at all times, 24 hours a day, to stay awake, as it were. And what is it that Vipassana aims at doing? Standing or walking, lying or sitting down, whenever, is one, whenever one is conscious, whenever one is awake, may one stay with this recollection. What recollection? This whole recollection that I am not one with this, what is happening. That all of this is changing, constantly changing, constantly changing. And to cling to any part of it or to push away any part of it is pure insanity based on an unbalanced mind. Just that simple. Not easy to do, but it's that simple to talk about. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So if Vipassana and the fourth way have so much in common, quack, quack. <laughs> this work is bigger than the people involved with it. When I say the work, I don't mean the fourth way. When I say this work, I mean everything that comes from the source of all light. That's what I'm talking about. To make it the fourth way, to make it Vipassana, is absurd. Goenka is constantly trying to get people to stop the Buddhist nonsense about Vipassana. It's, it's not a sectarian thing. It doesn't belong to the Buddhists. He brought it for anyone, anyone at all, who wished to employ it. Anyone. He didn't care who they were. Jesus did the same thing. He didn't care. You were a whore. You were a sinner. You were a tax collector. He didn't care. Pharisees came to him in the, in the middle of the night because they were afraid to come to him during the day because they didn't want to be associated with him or seen with him. And he would talk to them. He would talk to anyone. The woman at the well. The stories are rampant with these people who, who, who would come to them and they would talk to anyone. They would give it to anyone. There were no secrets. There was no withholding. It was given freely. That's all I want to do. I just want to give it freely. So people say, well, but you don't charge anything. No, that's right, I don't. Because I believe that if you teach the truth, people will take care of you. And if they don't, that's their problem. What does that have to do with me? If they have not come to the understanding where they can value the truth enough to be able to support it, that's their problem, not mine. The underlying principle and power that causes the manifestation of all of this throughout the universe and throughout time. That is the work. That is what I'm talking about. When I say the work, I'm not talking about the fourth way. I'm not talking about some 
some Johnny-come-lately thing in the whole scheme of this planet and humanity. I'm not talking about something that popped up a hundred years ago. I am talking about the source of everything, the source of all life, the source of all light. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about that's my work. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm doing here. That's what this is about. If you think it's about something else, fine. You're welcome to ride along as long as you'd like. But you just need to know where I'm steering this ship. That's where I'm headed. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com, to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.